Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The O Show Podcast is powered by Pinecast. It's also brought to you by Belly Up Sports. Be bold, stand out. The O Show Podcast is also brought to you by TickPick. No hidden fees and online marketplace for events. Tickets based in New York City that allows users to bid on tickets. Go to TickPick to get your tickets now. in the Bronx. The Yankees looking to turn the corner, but then came in the White Sox and all they did was murder. How do you lose two of three to the frickin' White Sox? It's okay, Boston's here, everyone knows Baston Sacks. Chris Sale and Nathan Avaldi sure do give up a lot of home runs, making this week against the Red Sox a whole lot of fun. This series was a kick in the ass, it was quite the party. Ryan Brazier got the invite to the Guardy party. And that is how you kick off episode 60 of the O Show podcast presented by Belly Up Sports. Be bold, stand out. I am your host, Jack O'Hara, O-Down, Throwdown, whose line is it anyway, has nothing on us except for the fact that they all got paid a lot more than I do. I do it for free for your entertainment. I hope you like it. But this is episode 60 of the Osho Podcast, and it was a big week for the Yankees. A big, um, it started out very mediocre. It turned into a, a great surprise. I mean, the Red Sox, like everybody knows, is off to a really bad start. The Yankees off to a bad start themselves. They, uh, they were four. They only had five wins, so they were five and seven going into that series against the Chicago White Sox. So homestand this entire week against the White Sox, Red Sox, and Royals. Uh, but the White Sox, you figured they'd at least win two out of three. Still looking to win their first homestand of the year after losing two out of three from the Tigers and the Orioles to start the season. They sweep the Orioles, get swept by the Astros heading into this series. And uh, game one, uh, not very pleasant. Uh, They lose 9-6 in seven innings, pouring rain in the Bronx on a Friday night. Uh, Brett Gardner adds to the Guardy party with a solo home run in that game. Yankees went up early 
They were up 5-3 in the fourth inning in that game, but that game uh, was all about White Sox phenom Eloy Jimenez. Mercado runs, Jimenez, a towering fly ball to center field, and it is up and out of here. Mount Eloy erupts for the first time, and it's 7-5 Sox. Base. Jimenez a drive, deep left field once again, no chance, he did it one more time. We told you it was the first of many, we didn't necessarily mean tonight. You can put it on the board. Yes, Eloy Jimenez, first two home runs of his career. He's supposed to be a superstar one day. They're talking like Mike Trout superstardom. I don't know. We'll see. That's a tough comparison. Eloy Jimenez had a good weekend in the Bronx. The Yankees dropped that one 9-6. And yeah, that call's not the same without Ken the Hawk Harrelson. Not, not even close. Uh, I think he referenced Mount Aloy erupts. I mean, it's a decent call. Cool little gimmick there, but it's no Ken, you know? Yonder Alonso also hit a home run in that game. Uh, that was J.A. Happ for the Yankees on Friday. Uh, not a good start at all. Uh, four innings, nine hits, six earned runs. He did pick up five strikeouts. He gave up that home run to Amenezo. Started the year with an 8.76 ERA. 0-2 in his first three starts. Not at all what the Yankees had themselves last year. Happ lost that one game in the playoffs against Boston at Fenway. Frankly, that's the only start anybody's going to remember. That's the only game that counts. But Hap's been off to a terrible start in 2019, which is not what you want considering you went out of your way to get him. You gave him that third year. He signed for two years, has that third-year option. It's not, not looking like a good deal so far for the Yankees, especially since he's your replacement for um, Patrick Corbin, who you thought you were going to sign, goes to the Nats. Um not not good. Uh, Holder came into that game, gave up a run, and then Chad Green, who really hasn't been that great so far out of the pen this year, gave up two runs in just a third of an inning. His ERA is at 12 to start the season. To be exact, it's 11-8-1. But that, for a guy who's supposed to be a great back end of the bullpen piece, that's, that's not what you want, as Joe Girardi would always say. It's not what you want. But the Yankees did rebound on Saturday. 4 nothing win against the White Sox. Big Carson Charles Sabathia. Captain Crunch himself. CC Sabathia. Back on the bump. Back on the boogie. What, what was uh, David Cohn say? Uh, tabbing. Or uh, towing that slab. That's how much I know. Towing that slab in the boogie down. In the Bronx. CC Sabathia. Uh, great start. He got backed by his offense for once. I mean, it was Ivan Nova and CC Sabathia, former Yankee Ivan Nova, who wears 46 for Andy Pettit, by the way, now, after wearing 47 in the Bronx. That's how much of a mentor he was to him, I guess. Uh, pitching duel through seven innings. Nobody scored until the bottom of the seventh. Luke Voigt came off the bench after getting most of the day off. Uh, bases loaded, one out, dunked a single into center field, broken bat. That gave the Yankees a one nothing lead. Uh, Aaron Judge hits his fourth home run of the year, a very vintage Yankee Stadium home run right over the right field wall into that short porch. That's a pop-up anywhere else, but he'll take it for his fourth of the year. Off to a good start, 275 average 
with those four home runs. Uh, but more on CC Sabathia. Five innings of work, only allowed one hit, picked up three strikeouts. You couldn't have asked for a better start to start the season. I mean, in his post-game press conference with the media surrounding him, he had J.A. Happ in with the media, asking him how he was able to paint his corner so well in his first start in six months. Let's take a listen. I mean, he's asking for a friend. Uh, that friend is J.A. Happ because he's been off to a terrible start. He did have a decent bounce-back start tonight against the Red Sox. It is 12.45 a.m. here on the West Coast in Phoenix, Arizona. So 3.45, a little over seven, eight hours ago, J.A. Happ got the start against the Red Sox. Pitched well. Pitched well, picked up the win. Um, but CC Sabathia, again, just a brilliant start in his first start back. Final season in the Bronx. Yankees looking to bring him home that title one final time. So the Yankees won on Saturday, 4 nothing to even up the series, and then just come out flat again on Sunday against, again, one of the worst teams in baseball. They're 5-9 and nine after that weekend against the Yankees. They're not a good team. They're a very bad team, the Chicago White Sox, a team that thought that was going to get Manny Machado after they lured in, like, his family members, Yonder Alonso, his brother-in-law, and then one of his good friends, John Jay. Obviously wasn't good enough. He wanted the money. He doesn't care about the people. But the Yankees came out flat. So Tanaka, who's been their ace through the first three starts, he's been phenomenal, Tanaka. Like, the best starter in the Yankees rotation, who has the best theme music presented by John Sterling. The sun will come out, Tanaka. Bet your bottom dollar with Tanaka. The sun will shine anyway. The best part about that is him just going, oh, anyway, <laughs> just back to business. Status quo, John Sterling, gotta love it. Uh, but Tanaka, coming in that start as their ace, only through four innings, gave up seven hits, five earned runs. He walked three. His ERA is now up to 3-2-2. Was pitching well on Sunday. Yankees gave him a 2 nothing lead uh, early on in that game. Luke Voigt with an RBI double-scoring judge in the first inning. Uh, Judge picking up an RBI single in the third inning. Top of the fourth inning, bases loaded, one out. Tanaka found himself in his first jam, and Tim Anderson, bases loaded, all ducks on the pond for the Sox. 2-2 fastball right over the heart of the plate. Tanaka, supposed to be on the outside corner with a cutter, ends up middle. Tim Anderson says, bartender, grand salami, put some stank on it. 4-2, 4-2, White Sox take the lead, and they never look back. They tack on one more run. Uh, Rondon, or Rondon picks up his second win for the Sox, pitched pretty well after uh, giving up two runs in the first three innings. Yankees only pick up four hits, and White Sox go on to win 5-2. Just a mediocre series, again, for the Yankees. A bad, bad team in the White Sox. They're, they're terrible. They're five, they were 5-9 and nine after that weekend against the Yankees. They came into the weekend at 3-8. and eight. Uh, you can't lose those series at home, especially for a team that was undefeated in the postseason two years ago in 2017 against teams like the Indians and the Astros and the Twins. So that's disappointing, especially because now you got a big series against the Red Sox on Tuesday and Wednesday, which we'll get to after our interview today. We have a guest on the show. We have a big we have a big guest on the show. Um, 
Former Yankee outfielder, former first-round pick for the Yankees back in 2009. He was the 29th overall pick. Uh, he made his way through the White Sox organization, the Giants, the A's. Strong left-handed hitting outfielder. Hit a huge home run in 2015 against the Tampa Bay Rays in the ninth inning. It was a 1-1 game in the ninth inning off Brad Boxberger with two runners on. Uh... Gave the Yankees a 4-1 lead. Let's listen in with Michael Kay for the call on that night. Boxberger deals. Fly ball, left field, deep, going back guy. Still back, turning, looking. See ya! A big three-run home run for Slade Heathcock. A huge ninth inning for the Yankees as they take a 4-1 lead. That's right, our guest today on the O Show podcast, episode 60, former Yankee outfielder and first-round draft pick Slade Heathcott. Heathcott uh, grew up in Texas, Texarkana, Texas, to be exact. Uh, was a stud in high school, starred for the baseball and football teams, uh, appeared in the Aflac All-American game when he was just 18 years old. Uh, he was committed to attend Louisiana State University on a baseball scholarship, uh, before being drafted by the Yankees, going straight into their system. Uh, currently now is going into flight school to become a commercial pilot, which is very interesting. I guess he was always interested in flying at a young age. Uh, has a bunch of different foundations and organizations going on that we'll get to, and uh, I guess there's really no better time to get into it uh, than right now. So without further ado, former Yankee outfielder, and former first-round pick, looking to become a commercial pilot now, and again, has a ton of organizations, Mr. Slade Heathcott. And no, it's not Heath Sladecott or whatever the hell you thought it was, Mike Francesa. Heath Sladecott. Yeah, Heath, yes. He hasn't come fast enough. You moron. Take it away, Slade Heathcott here on the O Show Podcast. I'll get started. Just first question, just because... It's like your new mission. It's basically what you've been doing lately. Like, why the desire now to become a pilot, and how's flight school been going? It's good. Um, honestly, uh, before I knew baseball was a reality, I wanted to fly. It's been a passion of mine for a very long time. Um, as cheesy as that, I watched Top Gun as a child, and I was hooked. So I've always had a passion for it. And in 2012, when I was in Tampa at high I, um, I actually went through my private course then. So I've actually had my private license since 2012, but I've always known that I wanted to pursue flying whenever the time came that I would be done. So uh, just, I finished up my instrument rating a couple weeks ago, about to finish up my commercial and then head off to CFI school. So got about eight weeks left. It's going good. It's a fast pace. So I think I've, oh, I guess I've been going for about eight weeks now. So I've got about eight to ten weeks left, and, and I'll be out doing the things that I want to do and see where it leads. And, like, was there, like, any specific reason for it, or just, like, you were just always just interested in flying? I just loved it, man. I did, a, like, an 
introductory flight uh, when I was really young, like my freshman year in high school. And I just, I love it. I love the flying. I love the idea. Um, now it's kind of evolved. I'm not 100% sure how, but I know at some point, somehow, since I'm stubborn enough not to give up on things, right. I, uh, I want to fly in an effort uh, in some facet, whether it's on the side or even everything that I do. But I, I want to fly in efforts to raise money for uh, the nonprofit that I founded and uh, eventually a uh, children's home and community center somewhere. Well, that's all. Tell me a little bit about that. How's that going for you? It's going great, man. Um, everything's kind of, I've been very fortunate thus far. Everything's been falling in place, and I've had some really incredible people step up. Uh, one of the, obviously, I've been working on the, I've, trying to think of the best way to put it. And, uh, so I have, I have three nonprofits that I work with or have been a part of starting. We have IamMore.us. Uh, it's a children's foundation that me, John Rye, and Catherine Liebrin, uh, Leslie and Murph's mother, Carolina, and a couple other people founded back in 2014 to just instill the fact that we're always more than our current situation. And it's centered around children with what we call special opportunities, um, disabilities and sicknesses, whether it be cancer or something that they were born with or something that they came. But the idea is that we just... We stay connected, we create parachutes in the cities that they're in, and just instill the fact that we are more than the situation we're in. Um, we meet Jeremy Wolf, Simon, and Riker um, started more than baseball.org, so the minor league nonprofit, which has been really getting going, and now we're working with. Um, three or four teams right now uh, two more that i'm working on as well but working on count anywhere from community outreach um building relationships with teams and the mlb we've been in talk for the commissioner's office and uh, mlb pa um just in regards and keeping them up to date with what we're doing and trying to get the word out to players that you know we're here to help we're not trying to fight the tides and you know go against owners and things of that nature but instead let's bring everybody together let's bring the fans in let's bring um you know all of our pieces ownerships and players teams and let's let's put our efforts to raise awareness let's put our efforts to do events that will um, grow a fan base as well as give minor leaguers opportunities to make more money off the field to build a um, support their dreams on the field. Um, I, I, we truly believe that if we can um, take some of the challenges and worries that minor leaguers have to do to put food on the table and to support their families, that they will in return be better baseball players. And that's our main goal with sport baseball is to be able to facilitate the growth of players not only on the field but more importantly off the field because we truly believe that the, the better men we are, the better players we are, and I experienced it in my own life in 2014, 2015, and it just uh, something that I truly believe in and that we've uh, been working with and just trying to be creative and get out of the box and figure out ways to do events that people wouldn't nearly uh, normally do and create memories. I think that people pay for memories and we'd rather create a memory instead of just asking for funds and things of that nature to support um, minor leaguers and their goals and ambitions. So really trying to uh, be that advocate for minor leaguers, whether on the field or off the field. Um, and then the one that I've really been working on um, in terms of just 
me getting it up going, and now I'm up to 29 people actually helping me on it. As we are one village, and the goal is to have a we are one village community center and uh, children's home or orphanage. And I, I really loved how uh, Brian Ingram, uh, our buddy of mine, had um, the we are one village already up and going, and we kind of grow. We met with Planet with Chris Dickerson and his initiative to kind of clean up the planet, be eco-friendly and things of that nature. And we brought players to the planet and we are one village underneath green.org, which is the domain we obtained last month, which was huge first in our initiative. So we want to make it an eco-friendly marketplace for people and, and really countries to access to technology. Um, from Green.org, we'll take funds and funnel it into Players for the Planet, and we're one village to drive the initiatives that we're working on. So, working on a big project in the DR with plastic cleanup and trying to get MLB on board and maybe Nike on board, some other things of that nature to uh, you know bring awareness and create jobs. I partnered with Plastic Bank, and the CEO is David Katz, and we've been um, talks with him a lot, and we're getting really close to. Um, getting those stages or finalizing the last number set the business plan and things of that nature. So uh, hopefully if we can implement Plastic Bank down in the DR, we will create thousands of jobs immediately and be able to allow for people to, you know, go out and earn 3 or $4 a day to supplement their $14 a week they have and use that, that currency from IBM Watson's blockchain to purchase social plastic uh, companies that have created goods and products that are using recycled plastic instead of creating new plastic, as well as healthcare and food and water. So we're really excited about that. And we have some projects uh, we're working on down there with beach cleanups and things of that nature and some more things that will roll out in time that can't really discuss just yet, but really excited about that. So it's been yeah, that, that explains why you're so busy right there. I mean, I have the site up right now, morethanbaseball.org, building uh, our pastimes future right here. And, of course, minor league ball, I would know nothing about it. You would know way more about it than I would. It's no joke from what I hear. And that kind of leads me to my next question. I wanted you to talk about your experience in uh, high school baseball because I know uh, from what I read it wasn't an easy experience growing up. But how quickly did you make the transition from high school ball to being drafted by the Yankees in 09? Because going from high school baseball straight to the pros in a single A is no joke. Um, yeah, so I was drafted late in 2000, or middle of 2009. I ended up not signing until late of 2009. Uh, I was very fortunate enough to get drafted the day before state championship, and then we ended up uh, turning around the next day in high school and winning the 4A state championship in Texas. So that was really awesome. Um, and just to be able to spend that with that team that I had and family that that I considered, you know, my baseball was my nice baseball team was my family at a time that I was, you know, living out of my truck or bouncing from house to house. Uh, you know, the guys on the team were my family, so to be able to share that with them was really awesome. You know, I remember getting to Round Rock and getting into the hotel and getting a call from David Oppenheimer saying that they were going to draft me uh, as their first pick. Uh, just don't describe moments like that. So, you know, we had a lot of fun. I was uh, even in the transition into pro ball. Um, you know, we signed late and uh, coming from a small town 
my thought process. I didn't have anything else for baseball, so my perspective was nothing anywhere close to what it was now. My, my perspective was about the party. It was about having fun. Um, and, you know, I made a lot of decisions that people think are mistakes and things of that nature, but I truly believe they were lessons, and I wouldn't change up any of them just because of the perspective I have sitting right now. So, um, you know, the transition was, at the time, I didn't. I think I was too young and naive to realize, but it was a big transition from, from going to play every couple of weeks to having the responsibility of, of, you know, managing my own time and profession as it, it wasn't just a game anymore, but it was also my job. So... I made that transition, and uh, over time, I got better at it. And you know, we just we have to take the the steps that we do, and and no matter how much we look back, it doesn't really help us in terms of where we're going. So we always got to focus on right now. It took me a very long time to uh, realize that and have the respect for what baseball really is. I don't think I really respected the what it took to become a big leaguer until that 2014 offseason after six or seven surgeries and the challenges I had faced and both on the field and off the field. Uh, it just, it took a while for those things to really um, transpire and turn into who I am now, but I'm also very thankful for those challenges. I'm very thankful for the, each surgery because when I signed, I was I was slayed the baseball player and um, the last couple of years of me playing, kind of took away the pressure of I didn't, you know, when I first started, I didn't have anything else besides baseball. I, I didn't have anything else in my life that seemed like it was, uh, that was my purpose or my calling. And I think each surgery and each decision and each uh, day that went by, it got me closer and closer to where I am now. And I'm very thankful for that. Oh, 100%. You live and you learn, um, obviously. Some good experiences growing up, some not good experiences, but you learn from both of them, and obviously you've turned it around in what you're doing right now. It's phenomenal work. And uh, just the next question, just because, you know, like totally like t- shifting gears here, just because I'm a big tattoo guy. You got a lot of tattoos on your arms. Reasoning and symbol, or yeah, reasonings and symbols behind them. Uh, one on my, you know, my right arm, I have a tribal that is called being 18-year-old and being able to make your own decisions. <laughs> nice. Um, underneath both of my my arms, I have for the love of the game uh, that goes from my right arm to my left arm. I have Psalms 143 on my chest, and it says, Oh, Lord, hear my prayer. And it was David's prayer in church or in jail. Uh, he was just talking about having a new beginning and a new start. And in 2010, I kind of took that step and I was the first step in terms of changing my perspective and kind of turning and changing the path that I was headed down on. Nowhere close to where I need to be and honestly will never be to that point because I always want to be in pursuit of that and to always be growing. But And then the one on my left arm, I, I will go to the one on my ribs. So I have one on my ribs and it meant a lot to me and still does, still does due to the fact that it says in all the in a race, all the runners run, so run in such a way you'll be victorious. And that's always been my my thing. Colossians 3.23, do it with all your heart. Glorify the name of the Lord, not for men. And I, I believe that I'm just not a half halfway person. When I do something, I'm all in. And anybody that's seen me play will understand that. And anybody that knows me on and off the field knows that that's who I am. I'm, I'm obsessively passionate is what I like to call 
and I'm thankful for that because I, you know, it keeps me motivated and takes that nature and it teaches me. You know, there's plenty of times where I uh, I'm all in on something and you know it doesn't work or or I fall on my face or I trip and fall or whatever it might be. It teaches me lessons along the way, so I'm not scared to fail, and I think that's huge um, in terms of not only success, but just in life. We, I think we shelter people from, and kids in particular, from failing, and it robs them of the opportunity of learning who they are as a person. So I, that's always been big with me, and my, my left arm, my sleeve, um, is why I go about everything that I do and how I go about it, and, and the the message I'm trying to leave and on the outside I have an eagle um, I've always uh, you know I, I'm an American I'm, I'm proud Absolutely. of it. I, I love the uh, civilization of the eagle um, I will also say that you know I by no means do I think that we have it figured out and I'm doing work in you know five different countries and I do plan on my offense being out of the United States but it's overlooking a boy saluting his father's grave at Arlington Cemetery and I put that out my inside my forum so that any time I could always look down and see it and just realize that people out there have paid the ultimate sacrifice that there's children out there and there's family out there that is is missing a loved one because that loved one was there fighting for the cause and or for me to be able to be where I am whether I support the war or not is beside the point because men and women have have gone over and and shed blood and shed tears and spent time away from family to be able to allow me to be here in the United States doing what I do on a daily basis so it's a reminder for me to why I have to be all out that's why I have to not stop and and when times get tough I can't quit I have to keep going and uh, below that I have uh, two dog tags with no names on them uh, just another symbolization of anyone that's paid the ultimate price um, moving up I have the skyline of New York I have the New York City skyline, and it has the twin towers missing, but has the beams moving or flowing up, and in the reflection in the Hudson are the twin towers, and it's just a symbolization as well as the new Freedom Tower. But it's just a symbolization that you know the, the past is the past. We have to move on. We have to move forward. Most of all, we don't have to forget about the past, but we do have to move forward, and we uh, you know we have to continue to grow up. And then it's just the American flag flowing into my chest. And on my chest, I have the Army Ranger Memorial. My uncle is an Army Ranger and has been for 17 years. And there's been several people in my family that have served. So my uncle is somebody I really look up to. And I felt like it needed to be over my heart and a reminder every time I looked in the mirror to exactly why I have to keep going. That That's... Awesome, and a lot of tattoos, a lot of symbols there. You talk about the Psalms a little bit. Were you, like, you mentioned, like, earlier on in your career, big into partying and stuff. Were you always religious? Because I know a lot of people um, went through times, like, when they were younger, weren't really religious at all. Like, they went to church when they were kids, didn't really put a whole lot of effort into it, and then they go through some life-changing experiences, and then all of a sudden they find God, they find peace within themselves. Is that what happened to you? Yeah, I think there was always a big gap, and I tried filling it with a lot of things. And, you know, I think we loosely use the word religious, and I think we use Christianity a lot or whatever it might be. And I say I'm a believer. Um, you know, my, my belief might be different than you, but that, you know, bringing it back to we are one village, that's why I love 
one village because regardless of who we are, where we are in life, we're all here together. We're all connected. And it's about time we start acting like it because we're all going to have different views. We're always going to have different opinions and tastes and whatever it might be. But it doesn't mean we don't have to have respect. And then as a society, we've gotten to a point where we feel like we have to climb over people instead of just pushing everybody up. And when we push everybody else up, we bring ourselves up in the, uh, in the same process. And you know, I, I, I've, I try to instill that in everything that I do and everybody that I put around me, whether on the boards uh, that I'm on with the nonprofits or business things that I'm working on, that is a common theme among everyone that I'm associated with. And I think that's very important. I think it comes to getting back to who we are um, as, as people and realizing that for our own betterment, we have to create a sustainable ecosystem. We have to create a sustainable economy that doesn't just help a few, but it helps everybody. That there's a way to that everybody can benefit, and in return, in the long run, in the bigger picture, we all benefit more because of that. So, um, I read an article the other day, um, basically playing with uh, Austin Romine, Arizona Fall League when you guys were younger, you always said, like like you just mentioned, you laid laid it all out, you gave it 100%, you don't, you're never like the half-full type guy, like you said. Um, he basically put it like, you played like every game was Game 7 of the World Series. Like, what was your fire behind uh, being, playing every game like it was Game 7 of the World Series, and are you still like that with stuff, with some of the stuff are you doing now, and why are you always so tense? I'm always How many, how many single mothers out there are working two or three jobs? How many families are out there working two or three jobs or single dads um, or just individuals making ends meet? Um, it, it's completely disrespectful of me to waste my time or to be in something halfway when they're out there busting their ass and doing everything they possibly can. So it's more of respecting the people that are on this planet with me. It's about respecting the game of baseball. I believe that's how it was made to play. And, you know, we never know when that, you know, we can always say this and you hear people say it all the time, but it's true. We, we never know when our time's done. You know, I could, I could walk outside and, and something happened in an hour from now and we don't know. And my biggest thing is I always want to whenever my time comes and whenever that time comes, I'll be ready. But I also want to know that I didn't waste any moments and, you know, we're not perfect. And there's times that I get lazy and there are times that I fail. And whether I'm a believer or not, I'm nowhere close to being perfect. And I have more flaws than anybody, but I'm an open book about those flaws. And, and, you know, I try to show extreme humility in all that I do because none of us are perfect and we all struggle with different things. I struggle with something that you might struggle with differently, but me being able to share what I struggle with, maybe there's somebody else out there that can relate. Maybe we can help each other. And that's kind of the approach I try to take with everything. So you said you were going to work out after this. How, t how intense are your workouts? What do you got today? Hey, they haven't been near as intense. I'll be honest with you. Um, just with time now it's just about maintaining but I do plan um, I'm starting to plan some things and running I did a half marathon not too long ago um, and I'm shifting my perspective so I'm now going to not preface with what I would normally say and I'm just going to say I am a runner and I'm working at being a better runner <laughs> absolutely um, so I'm, I'm definitely very um, 
you know, two people that are on my board of We Are One Villages, Charlie Engel and a guy named Andre Cashley. And Andre was hit by a train, lost his lower legs, and just decided to devote his life to showing that same thing as the I am more, just being an overcomer, that we're more than the situation we're in. So he actually ended up crossing the United States on a hand bike um, in a little over 12 days, so 3,140 miles in 12 days. Uh, the other guy that, or one of the other gentlemen that are on my board is is Charlie Engel, and he founded Water.org with Matt Damon. Well, Charlie Engel ran 111 days nonstop, covering a little over 50 miles a day, so about 5,000 miles in 111 days uh, across the Sahara Desert. And we're doing, we're working on a platform right now for those two. They're doing a 5.8 deck. And the whole, the whole scheme of it is the lowest to the highest points on earth, only 5.8 miles separate them. And it's just a symbolization that we are here and the lows and the highs in, in life doesn't mean that it has to determine where we're headed or the past determines where we're headed, but that we can always be on a path up and we can always be on a path to greatness. So they are going to go and, you know, I'm going to train and do what I can to attend whatever parts of the journey that I'm able to attend uh, because climbing is something that I really want to get into. I really want that climbing Everest to be kind of the last event I do or one of the events I do to raise funds for the, the orphanage. Um, but they are going to go from the lowest to the highest points on all seven continents. Um, and Andre's going to do it with exactly the way he is right now, as strong as he is right now, and he's going to be facing a lot of obstacles and challenges, and, and especially with the rock climbing portion, but we're going to figure out a way to do it, make it happen, and it'll be a world record feat for them. That, that'd be insane, and it's really cool to see how all these projects that you're doing kind of all correlate with each other, all helping each other out. Um <laughs> But you uh, made your 20, so in 2015, you made your MLB debut with the Yankees, correct? Correct. And then, um, so I guess my next question is, A, who was your greatest mentor growing up in the game of baseball? And B, who, who gave you the best advice during that 2015 season when you were up in the Bronx? You had a lot of uh, leaders on that team. You had Alex Rodriguez still there, Mark Teixeira, Brian McCann. I honestly couldn't tell you just one person. There were so many people in that locker room that really stood up. Brett Gardner was one of my favorite. Brian McCann is an awesome guy that really helped out. Alex and Carlos Beltran, two of the smartest guys I know in terms of baseball IQ, always ready to do, to dedicate their time to younger players. And you know, I, we saw a big shift in Alex's personality and, and the way he approached things after the uh, 2014 season. So that was really awesome. And seeing those guys dedicate time, I spent a lot of time around them. Um, Dylan Batanzas, CC Sabathia, these guys spent a lot of time um, mentoring guys and be able to see that. Um, I don't know if I had a role model in terms of a baseball player, but definitely through my professional career, being able to see how Jeter handled himself uh, really made an impact more so off the field than on. Um, and I think the off the field ended up relating back to on the field, but seeing his consistency and how he went about everything every day and how him and, and guys like him and Mo uh, became my two favorite players in baseball history because, you know, they would you would always see them talking with younger players, always giving back and, and showing that, you know, if, if those two guys can do it or if these ten guys that were in that locker room such high quality and 
not only players but individuals if they if they can donate or if they can dedicate their time to other people and serve other people then why can't we all so I think those were I think there were so many influential people in my life in 2015 in terms of the baseball field that um, it just was it was huge Rob Thompson the bench coach uh, one of my favorite people in the world um, guys like that 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 stood up for something bigger than just themselves but the the overall picture really instilled a lot of lessons in my life and then of course what i remember what most yankee fans remember that 2015 season was the home run you hit in september in tampa bay uh three run homer the other way brett gardner even said that you almost blew him up like almost injured half the team you talk about the intensity how exciting was it to come through in that situation at the time given it was like in right in the middle of a pennant race that's what every kid dreams of. Any baseball player that's ever stepped foot on the field has dreamed of moments like that. That's why we play. That's why That's why we want to be out there. So just the moment itself was awesome. But what really got me fired up, even more so than I probably would have been, was when I rounded second base and I saw the dugout the way it was. Um, you know, even to this day, I still it still gives me chills and still a moment that I'll never forget and a moment that I wish that I had a thousand times over. But... Um, you know, my calling in life is just something else. And, you know, if that, that moment is my highlight in baseball, I'm okay with that because my life is, is you know, I tell people that, you know, the truth is I, I retired because I wasn't good enough to have an offer here, and I'm okay with that. I'm completely okay with that, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that, and I'm, and I'm at peace with that. And the biggest reason why is I felt like my life had a bigger calling or just a different calling. I felt like my life is nothing makes me happier than serving people and being able to be in a position that I am and being able to be setting up operations and, and organizations and events to help minor league players, to help children, to help people all around the world. Um, nothing makes me happier. So I, I really retired um, selfishly because I just felt like there was there was something else calling my name. And sure enough, there was. And then you, after you left the Yankees, you were kind of moving around in the A system, Giants, White Sox. Tell me a little bit about those experiences. Did you enjoy those towards the end of your career? I did. You know, I think the game really shifted. I, I've always enjoyed the game of baseball, even uh, to this day. You know, I I can't say that there's. I definitely miss playing in the big leagues. I don't know if I miss playing in the minor leagues near as much, but. Um, you know, I've always loved the game of baseball. I've always loved playing the game of baseball, even with all of its trials and and mental um, fortitude that it takes and to persevere through the ups and downs in baseball. I've always loved it and always enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, I, I retired, but and I'm done playing the game, but I'm nowhere close to being done with the game of baseball. And I want to use the game of baseball as a vessel to show the world that when the baseball community comes together, look what we can do. And we can use the baseball platform. We can use players and impact thousands and thousands of lives of people in the DR. And we'll take it from the DR and we'll go to Puerto Rico and we'll take it from Puerto Rico and we'll keep expanding to show the world that this is what happens. We all might be different. We might all have different opinions and different tastes and different paths. And we might even be competing against each other in the same sphere. But doesn't mean we don't we can't work together in the in the biggest picture of, of mankind and humanity. And of course, after you're done with baseball, you say you have a calling to do this. You have more than baseball amongst your other organizations that you're starting, including getting into flight school. So, what does a day in the life of Slade Heathcott entail with flight school, your organizations, still around the game of baseball, like? 
what time do you get up in the morning? Like, you got to go to the gym. Like, you obviously, like, really don't have much downtime on top of, you know, having a family, being a father. Number one, the number one thing in my life is and will always be, and one of the biggest and is the most influential part of my life is I'm a father first and foremost. Um, so I have my son 50% of the time. So it just depends. My schedule it could be different. Sometimes I normally once a week, I pretty much stay up overnight to get work done. Uh, especially when I have my son, I don't want to ever take away from my time with my son and family things and stuff of that nature. I will never sacrifice that. So in order to make that happen and make all the other things that happen, sometimes I'm up until three. Sometimes I don't go to sleep. Sometimes I stay up until two. I'm not ever really in bed before midnight, honestly, or probably two is probably a better guesstimate of that. And I can, I'm just able to get a lot of work done and there's studying I'm doing. I'm also trying to complete my college degree and aeronautics degree with a minor in aerial operations. Uh, so a normal day just depends. If I fly, if I had my son and I fly at 7.15, I'm, I'm up at 5.30 and and getting my son ready to go to school and things of that nature so I can drive him up north. I normally, I take a lot of phone calls in the car, um, business meetings, because I'm in the car for two to four hours a day, depending on traffic, depending on if I'm taking my son to school. So I'm in the school a lot, so if I, or in my car a lot, so I watch a lot of videos or listen to a lot of videos um, with aviation to be able to compact as much knowledge as I can there so that way I don't fall behind with as fast paced as it is. Um, I'm taking phone calls at all times at night. Like tonight, I don't have my son, so I have two other calls after this and just got off with a call. And uh, I, I flew from 1 to 4 o'clock today, and I had a meeting at 9 o'clock this morning and then a call at 9.45 that took about an hour and a half. And I studied in between and was up at 5.30 this morning, and I'll go work out after this one and take my calls after I work out after that. So it really just depends. Uh, I normally am working for 16, 18 hours a day probably. Uh, anybody can do that, right? Man, oh, man, that's crazy. Crazy. Um, I think so many of us do. Yeah. I mean, if you put your mind to it, obviously, and you're proving that right now. Uh, no question. Just – before you go, I just have two more things uh, I want to get to, both just humorous to me, because the first one is kind of just the thing we do on this podcast, kind of a ritual, it's kind of a segment, and until I figure out a better name, it's called Storytime, where basically uh, myself, as well as my guests, just tell like a bizarre story where you're just caught in some precarious situation, or like even like an embarrassing story. Uh, I'm sure you have many, uh, as do I, so... What do you got? Oh, man, I don't even know where to start. I guess I would shed light on the decisions I was making just to shed light on where I was in my thought process. Um, right after I signed, fortunate to be in the first rounder, I was a bouncer in Tampa right after that. So I was a bouncer at bars, and my thought process was, well, if I'm going to drink, I might as well get paid for it. So I was a bouncer. And there was times that, you know, one time we went out partying all night. I woke up got to the airport but i was blacked out hammered drunk and i had dropped my passport or at least i thought i had when i came back to the the hotel obviously the yankees had already found out about it uh, my passport was just sitting right there on the bed nice and neat on top so that's a that was a weird weird moment in terms of just where i was and obviously that shed light 
had to go to AA meetings and things of that nature. Uh, so that's one of them. Shoot, let's. Whew. Oh, yeah, that's just where I was. And, you know, I, my first spring training, I was sleeping. I think I slept through three or four games my first week, week and a half. And I still to this day don't know Ron Dog ended up waking me up in my bedroom of a gated community. And to this day, I still don't know how he got in there. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so you, I, used to, I used to have to take breathalyzers every day before I got up, walked on the field. Um, I, was, uh, I was a joy to handle uh, I mean, yeah, you live and you learn, but, like, you literally slept through three or four games, like, that you were supposed to be at in Tampa? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I would I wouldn't get home until five or six, and I would be drinking all night or just sleep through the alarm. Uh, sometimes it wasn't that I was drinking or drunk, just sometimes it was just I slept through the alarm because I was up until four or five or six o'clock, and I would fall asleep instead of getting the feeling at, at that time, so... Just uh, a lot of choices that, that I look back on now, and I know that I need to share them so that way it can help other people. Absolutely. I mean, that's a good story right there. Um, just because I told it on the last podcast that I did, I'll tell you just because you know the guy. Uh, last year, it was like Mother's Day. Uh, and again, not to waste your time, but on Mother's Day, I was, uh, I was working in the... Uh, production truck for uh, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. I was a uh, guest services and like ticket salesperson for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And of course, A-Rod does Sunday Night uh, Baseball now with Vaskersian and Jessica Mendoza. And my, my basically my job was to get them in there safe and sound and uh, make sure nothing happened to them. So they get in, I lock the door behind me, my shift's basically done, and I really have to go pee. So there's a porta potty right across the... Uh, right across the... Um, street from the production truck so I go in there I go pee and like you know like your worst fear when you're in like a public bathroom is someone just walking in on you and uh so someone opens the door I'm just like uh someone's in here he's like oh shit sorry and I'm like oh my god that was Alex Rodriguez and (laughs) I'm like what am I gonna say like that was kind of weird and I get out, uh, I'm like, oh, Mr. Rodriguez, I'm so sorry. He kind of just slaps me on my chest. He's like, hey, man, at least it wasn't Jennifer. So at least there's that. <laughs> so that, that was my Mother's Day with Alex Rodriguez in a porta potty. Um, hey, there you go. <laughs> at least I'll have that for the rest of my life. Um, hey, yeah. <laughs> and then the one last thing before I let you go work out, you need that intense workout. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I didn't even see this until today, just looking up content to talk about. Uh, it had to be 2014, 2015, right around the time you were called up, maybe even before then, uh, just because everybody loves making fun of this guy. Mike Francesa was on his show talking about who and who couldn't the Yankees call up. Have you seen this before? I have, actually. I don't even know if you could hear it through the phone. but it's. I thought it was just a loop, to be honest. I'm like, oh my god, he's actually just muffing this for like 25 seconds straight. Yeah, it's not that hard of a name. Well, you know, Mike has to be Mike, so he's got to do something to uh, something something that people are going to talk about. So I guess that's what he chose that day. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Heath Slade caught caught. I, mean, I couldn't even do it if I tried. I love it. I um, guess I should have. 
I guess I should have hit more homers. Unbelievable. Pronounce it then. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, so what do you what, what's the workout today? Upper body, lower body, full body? It's gonna be all cardio today with a little upper body and core. That sounds nice. I'll let you get to it though. Thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. I'm glad we worked out this time. I really appreciate you finding time for me to do this because I know it wasn't easy. Sorry it took so long. No, no worries whatsoever, man. Thanks for making the time. I appreciate it. Let me know if there's anything I can do. Awesome. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of your day, man. You know, I didn't ask him, but given his mentality and his intensity, I guarantee you Slate Heathcott is a Rage Against the Machine guy. I'm a huge Rage Against the Machine guy, killing them the name right there. Intro and outro for the Slate Heathcott interview. Nice guy, great chat, uh, has a lot of things going on, as you can tell. Okay, so former big league ball player, baseball is still a huge part of his life, uh, has a son to look after now, um, is looking to become a commercial pilot. He's got uh, the More Than Baseball organization. You go check him out on morethanbaseball.org. Uh, their mission is basically to empower every minor league baseball player with opportunities to live a better life during and after their careers, uh, directed by Jeremy Wolf, And basically, it gives minor leaguers a lot more um, comfort when on the road, basically. Um, and again, just gives them a better opportunity to live a better life than obviously people in the past in the minors. Because, I mean, I'm no athlete. Uh, but minor league baseball is no joke. There's a reason why Kyler Murray picked the NFL over MLB. It's because minor league baseball, you're not getting paid that much. It's not fun getting on bus to bus, town to town, uh, getting from city to city, um, many nights in many hotel rooms. It just sounds brutal. Okay, I know nothing about it, but it just sounds brutal, uh, not fun. Probably a lot of shitty meals. It's hard to stay healthy on the road. Not a lot of gym time. Just sounds brutal. More than baseball helps you out with that, among a plethora of other things. Uh, but Slade Heathcott doing a great job with that alongside Jeremy Wolf and others. Uh, so go to morethanbaseball.org to learn more about it. Again, their mission is to empower every minor league baseball player with opportunities to live a better life during and after their careers, and again, among other things. We talked a little bit about his career, how it started. You just mentioned on those uh, story time, uh, those, those, on the story time segment, those stories that he told. Jesus. Uh, obviously not an easy ending for Slade Heathcott. He has found himself, um, found his mission in life, has found God, and he's doing awesome, right? He's absolutely kicking ass. So go check out... Uh, more than baseball.org. Check out more on Slate Heathcott. If not, uh, give to the foundation. It looks awesome. 
I am definitely looking forward to see how that evolves over the years. So with that being said, with getting the Slade Heathcott interview, um, quote unquote, out of the way, let's talk about the series now that happened this week. Yankees, Red Sox, Yankee Stadium, in the boogie down, in the Bronx, Yankees coming after a, a mediocre uh, two out of three series loss to the White Sox. Red Sox obviously six and eleven to start their season. Make that six and thirteen because the Yankees swept them at home. Indeed, Baston Sacks. You see those shirts out there? I have one of my own. Go get that shirt wherever, uh, eBay, probably the only place you can get it. But yeah, Red Sox suck um, right now. They're the defending world champions. Can't take that away from them. Don't want to be that arrogant Yankee fan. There's so many Yankee fans out there that give the Red Sox so much crap for their poor start. Like, we're equally as bad right now. We just beat up on a really bad team that's really struggling right now. And they're the defending World Series champions. They beat us in the playoffs, and that's all that matters. It's all they could look back to. April baseball, essentially, like you want to win the games, but like most likely won't come back to bite you in the end. Hopefully not for the Yankees' sake. But yeah, it's April baseball. I'm not going to lose my mind over the series. Yankees take two of two from the Red Sox. Uh, both, well, well, the first one in convincing fashion, Chris Sale, once again, started off hot, did not have it at the end. Clint Frazier, bartender, can I get a jack? The other way, Apo Taco into right field over the WB Mason sign. Uh, Glaber Torres, it was Glaber Day in the Bronx again. He had himself a jack as well going the other way. And then um, it was the first of uh, maybe many. I don't know. I still don't know the guy. I think he's all right. Mike Talkman, first home run as a Yankee, first of his career, I believe. So Mike Talkman on the board on the bartender Jack Scale. And uh, let's take a listen. Michael Kay with the call. High fly ball, right field. There it goes. See ya. Into the second deck. A three. So Talkman on the board. Monster three-run home run. Uh, second deck in right field. Yankees go on to win that game. 8 to nothing. James Paxton, after a couple of very mediocre starts, made you very worried about his tenure in the Bronx already. Eight innings, only gave up two hits, struck out 12. Not one, not two, 12 Red Sox. He goes to 2-2, two and two, ERA down to 3-9-1 after uh, he thought he was tipping his pitches in Houston, had a bad start at Minute Maid Park against the Astros, gave up a home run to Altuve, among other things. Sales 0-4, he's, oh my god, signs that giant extension, and he's 0-4 with an 8-5-0 ERA to start the season. Joe Girardi, as he would say, not what you want from your ace. Um, but Paxton, 2-2, two two, just what you want to see from him, a great bounce-back start. Knew what his mistake was, uh, adjusted, pitched beautifully on Tuesday, which takes us to April 17th, uh, earlier tonight. Yankees with a 5-3 win. It wasn't looking good throughout the duration of it, to be honest. Jay Happ uh, gave up that long home run into Monument Park against J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez, as Jerry Remy on Nesson would always say, or still says for that matter. But Happ, uh, six and a third innings, gave up six hits. Three earned runs, a quality start, still didn't have his A stuff, 
but he kept the Yankees in the game. His ERA is at 7-2-3. Got to get that down. Uh, and again, four starts in the season. You expect him to. Tommy Canely came in for two-thirds of an inning, got himself out of trouble. He's been like Houdini this season, constantly gets himself into and out of trouble. Uh, Ottavino got a hold his second of the year before Chapman. Only picked up his third save of the year. So we're halfway through April. He only has three saves. That's it's kind of sketch. But it was his third save of the season. Uh, of course, in the bottom of the eighth, Yankees down 3-1. to one. Ryan Brazier got that invite to the Guardy party, like I mentioned in the O-Down throwdown to kick off this edition. Brett Gardner, bases loaded, one out, 0-2 pitch. Brazier tries to get him to chase the high heat, and the pitch wasn't all that high. It was uh, right down the middle. Uh, Brett Gardner depositing it over the right field wall. Four-run jack. Yankees win the game 5-3. to three. It's a feel-good series. Again, I'm not going to get too excited about it, but wins against the Red Sox are pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of Yankee fans out there that thinking, like, oh, this is it. We're going to win the division. We're 8-9, guys. Relax. Sox are 6-13. and It's April. The Sox are going to end up well over 500, like 35 games over 500 at least. They'll be in that 95-67 range, something like that. They're not going to win 108 games, but they're going to be good, Okay. Yankees 8-9, and nine, nothing to be too excited about. They're going into a four-game set against the Royals, though, who, again, one of the worst teams in baseball. Uh, they were 2-9 and nine heading into the last weekend. Again, the, what, the Kansas City Royals and the Chicago White Sox series, you have to win. The Red Sox, if they split, if they lost both, I would have understood it the way they started out the year. you got to win against the White Sox and the Royals. They didn't get the job done against the White Sox. Now you've got... The 6-12 and 12 Kansas City Royals for a four-game set in the Bronx. you gotta, you got to win at least three or four. got to think. Royals had themselves quite an intense uh, game against the Chicago White Sox today. Another bench-clearing brawl. Um, well, not a brawl, but a bench-clear nonetheless. So they'll be amped. The Yankees, of course, amped. Should be interesting. Yankees-Royals, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in the boogie down. Got four guys towing that slab, as David Cohn would say, in the Bronx. But this was episode 60. Yeah, episode 60 of the Osho Podcast. It is uh, about 1.17 a.m. here out on the West Coast. I'm going to get to bed now. Uh, big project in the morning. Uh, and, yeah, not to be Mike Francesa right now. Uh, uh, but a feel-good yeah. win for the Yankees, nonetheless, after that White Sox series. Slade Heathcott, great chat with the former Yankee outfielder and first-round pick. Has a lot of big things in his future. Go check it out once again, uh, morethanbaseball.org. Um, yeah, and go check out 50-50 Booking Podcast. Two-time NWA world champion Nick Aldis coming on the show next week on 50-50 Booking, also presented by Belly Up Sports, Be Bold, Stand Out. And you can check this episode out on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Podbean, and wherever the hell you guys get your podcasts. You do you. I'm Jack O'Hara. You're not. And as always, hit it, Hootie.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.